0: Welcome to Comic Book Decalogue. This is a podcast devoted to designing the ideal comics interview and a show of real gravity and rigor on which we ask the same ten questions to a different cartoonist with each installment. This time I'm super happy to have Ben Passmore as a guest. You've likely seen Ben's work at the Nib or read Your Black Friend, either in the form of his breakout mini comic or in the collection Your Black Friend and Other Strangers out from Super Sprocket. Ben's work is personal, it's political, it interrogates the boundary between the two. Uh, it's also frequently very funny. And he's someone who, uh, I think because the messaging in his comics can be so strong, it'd be possible to sleep on as a cartoonist. Don't do it! Uh, because he's great there also, and the kind of comics making he does in that collection is a pleasure the whole way through. But before we begin that, a uh, quick bit of housekeeping. Uh, I mentioned last time uh, the impending release of Comic Book Decalogue, An Incredible Celebration, the podcast's combination coffee table book and Blu-ray Sets. This was going to have, will have, uh, essays from me, transcriptions of multiple interviews, a lot of footage of the podcast getting edited, so you can see what it looks like in GarageBand. Um, sort of a fun tribute to the podcast, three and a half year run, or it was going to be uh, right now, it's uh, it's also an education in how if you get into a fight about invoices with your distributor, they can keep your products in their warehouse instead of giving it back. Um, actually, I don't know. Does that sound like the America you know? Yeah, me neither. Uh, again, I did not crowdfund this. It's going straight to retail. Uh, and, yeah, I need this to turn a profit as soon as possible because I am uh, on the hook with some people who I feel like did not bankroll it in good faith. Um, so, you know, uh, everyone's good thoughts or ideas about collateral are appreciated. Um, but enough about that. Right now, please enjoy 10 Questions with Ben Passmore. Question number one is What's the last comic you finished reading?
1: I'm trying to remember. It's one of these ones from Breakdown Press. Ding Dong Circus and uh, Other Stories. Uh, It's a collection of... um, I'm terrible at names. Um, So, Ding Dong Circus and Other Stories. It's uh, these surrealist comics from um, 1968 to 1974 by uh, Sasaki Miki Mm -hmm. or Mikai. I've never been, like, super enthralled with surrealism. Not for, like... Necessarily, like a deep aesthetic reason, I think that I've definitely been influenced by influ- people influenced by surrealism. It's more that um, <laughs> Salvador Dali was uh, was sympathetic to fascists, yeah, right. particularly Franco. And you know, it's it's just like an obnoxious thing that guys that read Bukowski are, are sometimes are into at parties. So I, I didn't really give it a whole lot of thought. But this particular collection just you know like in many ways uh comics are iconography and i felt like um this particular cartoonist was really playing on that in a way that i thought was compelling
0: yeah i i agree i've read that collection and okay, cool. i i found it interesting in the sense that you can read those comics kind of passively and let the cartooning just kind of wash over you or right. you know just move from panel to panel uh with you know the modest footholds that that he gives you. But also you, if you're so inclined, you can really try and, you know, wring as much meaning out of a page as possible. And, and, you know, the sort of latitude you have as a reader that way, I think is is something special.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, the only part that really doesn't work for me is this, um, you know, and he's, uh, I feel like there's Xerox copies or something. And it's just like blocks of, of uh, I don't even know what it is. It's maybe like uh, excerpts of like a news report I don't know. Sometimes surrealism is just too. I don't know. I, I do I do like a story, but um, I I did I do like the the space it gives to be interpretive, like you said.
0: Well, that makes me. I have a question for you in that respect. Um, I was uh, rereading the stories uh, in the Your Black Friend collection uh, in advance of talking to you, and in a, a piece like Goodbye, um, you know, I'm thinking of the the section where you have. Uh, you know, multiple versions of the same person, you know, kind of at war with each other, which is, you know, the the real world concerns and the personal concerns in a story like that are evident to a reader, I think. But there's, you know, a sort of a surreal conceit there too. So I, when you're creating a, a piece like that, you know, how in. St- is it for you versus um, you know being you know very intentional about where you'll draw the line between the surrealistic elements and the the kind of emotional content of that story.
1: I don't know. It's a really good question. I mean, I know that when I am um, reading comics or just sort of consuming art generally, I think because we live in such like a, like so deeply past like the initial like confluence of like postmodernism like. Uh, and I think of like goodbye as being in many ways like a very like postmodern comic. I mean whatever we're just like so many things are just sort of like secret postmodernity i need I need there to be a wink or else mm-hmm. I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna respect uh, the author or what's like what's being talked about. so for me, it's i I guess I try when writing something like that to sort of to wink as much as possible, sure. Um, which I don't know. I don't. I, I was actually. I've been watching a bunch of David Foster Wallace interviews for I don't know why. Um, and uh, he has this quote by someone else, um, and he says that uh, like irony is a uh, a bird that's learned to love its cage, uh, which I've been thinking a lot mm-hmm. about recently. Um, how much? How much? You know? I mean, irony is postmodern, and you sort of get your cake and eat it too. So I don't know, which which also makes me think about just how many um, how many angsty beautiful people there are now, <laughs> and that maybe that, that's like part of it too. Mm-hmm. That I'm you know uh, maybe allergic to angst and too <laughs> much. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, and sincerity ge- in general. But I but I think when I do something that's sort of um, sur- sort of surrealist. I think it allows me, it, it creates this sort of like mediation for me to talk about something very serious. And Goodbye is sort of like all about um, me turning into my 30s as a weird anarchist that still likes to do weird stuff like hitchhiking and polyamory, mm-hmm. um, even though it's you know not important that you know that that's the spirit that I'm writing it. But it creates this sort of this mediation where I feel like I can write about it freely uh, without me getting really bogged down in my own my own emotions in a way that makes it impossible for me to read something worth reading or for me to write something that's worth
0: reading. Sure. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You know, like when I think of, of, you know, the postmodern condition, um, even if that's like a decades old concept. Now I think of, you know, people being so, uh, aware of, you know, different modes of expression and what, what composes them that, you know, it's hard to separate an awareness Of how we communicate with with the things we're trying to communicate and with you know the problems of how we communicate and i I, I imagine that if you can introduce something relatively unfamiliar into that yeah i would imagine it it can complement the trying uh the the act of trying to express something that's of real importance or or you know familiar in the sense that you're living with it every day
1: yeah i mean and also i i think it's it's no one's fault but i think we're also so obsessed with being viewed that i think obfuscation creates like maybe like the only avenue one of the few avenues other than just totally being a luddite i guess and an isolationist to sort of like at least do an exp, you know create a expression that you're sharing with someone without necessarily being seen uh
0: <laughs> yeah all right well let me ask you a, a more pointed question then i uh, like you will frequently, you know, speak in the first person in your comics, and and have a likeness of yourself in your comics. So, I mean, how how fraught or or like, you know, anxiety inducing is the act of drawing yourself in a piece?
1: <laughs> well, it's weird because I mean, uh, I started doing that. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I uh, the first sort of indie comics I read were like Optic Nerve was uh, it was like Joe Matt. I think I was. You know, so I just sort of came up where I feel like it was a cons- it was just like a part of being a an al- alternative cartoonist where you just drew yourself. Mm-hmm. But it is funny aging. You know, I, I've been doing uh, I did this series Stay A-Hole that I'm still uh, technically doing, however, slowly. And I started that maybe six years ago when I had a lot more hair and I was a lot skinnier. Um, so it is a little – it's funny, you know, because it was already not a very flattering depiction of myself. Uh-huh. Um, and it uh, – <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's looking handsomer every year. <laughs> I mean, I think – I guess I think it's fun. Well, I mean, for, you know, like why I've drawn myself has changed. I think initially it, it was um, – you know, for very, uh, conceited reasons. And then when I started doing Dayglo Ejo, which is, a a, a sort of po- post-event comic about, uh, living in irradiated New Orleans, mm-hmm. um, I was drawing myself because, because I don't know, it's a, it, this is true everywhere, but in New Orleans, the subjectivity of black people in struggle is, uh, so like sort of romanticized, it's associated with like, um, a sort of like authenticity but it's also right. both co-opted and misunderstood so I thought that you know it was maybe there was some sort of importance to um, you know having a comic about uh, an angsty black guy uh, that is not easily romanticized so that was part of the reason uh, for drawing myself in that comic and then more recently I uh, in the last couple years with me doing a lot more um, editorial or nonfiction comics, I really, you know, I ha- I've had a long relationship with grassroots politics, with anarchism, um, and with Black Lives Matter, you know, sort of popping up and proliferating, and um, people just sort of communicating ideas. I was really concerned with this idea, young black organizers that are pretty green to things would be like, well, we need the White people to create sort of this physical force field, and um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I definitely understand that, um, uh, when it comes to white, su- you know, sort of systematic white supremacy or you know, individual white supremacists, mm-hmm. um, I think it's been hard for, um, or it, it, it appears hard for many white people to know what, what to do, like literally, you know, with their bodies, yeah. So, I, I sort of appreciated in that sense but it created this scenario it also created a lot of opportunities for a lot of weird savior mentalities and also for the conversation around black people who was sort of dealing with sort of our like our passive victimization and not you know i'm a very active person you know if i see a mm-hmm. nazi i want to um, you know have a very active convert you know interaction with him <laughs> So, so this idea that I needed to be protected was sort of con- concerning, and also I don't know. There's just a lot of there are these moments. You know, Occupy was another one where a lot of people, um, usually younger, are learning a lot of things. Uh, so I thought, well, I'll just be, uh, I'll just have myself in these comics, um, being there when Antifa is you know conflicting, and sort of maybe show an example of uh, one type, one option for. Um, for black people to be political sure. on the streets, um, which is a little conceited, but, you know, I'm a cartoonist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, I'll ask you the second question on the list now, which is, what cartoonist doesn't get enough praise?
1: Huh. Well, I mean, I think Richie Pope should be more famous than he is, although he just won an Emmy Award. I think that a conversation that I, I have a lot with people is, um, is about... Ron Wimberly is, you know, who did Prince of Cats. Oh yeah. His his role his role in sort of inspiring this whole generation of really weird black cartoonists to to make comics um, and to sort of be a part of the industry in this particular way uh, that I think is an internal conversation that I've had with black cartoonists on the floor of uh, showrooms. But I don't think I don't think that other people realize uh, what kind of role model he's been.
0: And when did you first encounter uh, Prince of Cats? I know it's been you know published in multiple iterations at this point. It's been at least
1: five years. I think um, I was at New York Comic-Con I had flown up from New Orleans and I was hanging out with my friend Branson Belchi who's a, who's a cartoonist that lives in Seattle. Um, and he knew Ron because they were both they were both uh, from New York City and uh, we ran into ron after the new york comic-con in the subway and i didn't know i didn't know prince of cats i didn't know anything about his other work and my friend branson was like oh you know this is this is ron he's real good like you should meet him and i was like oh well maybe you want to swap comics you know i had tabled new york comic-con and of course had sold nothing so i was like well i got to get rid of these comics uh-huh. um and ron for some bizarre reason decided to uh to trade a copy of Prince of Cats An OG copy of Prince of Cats uh, With me there on the subway And uh, he passes me the comic And I flip through it for a second And I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing mm-hmm. uh, and, in, and I was like, what was your name again? And he's like, Ron Wimberly And that's, it was, as soon as he said his name He hit his stop and just backed out the door <laughs> <laughs> And then disappeared And I don't think I talked to him again For years after that so, uh, so that feels like a very, yeah, it's a very uh, cinematic way to, to come into Prince of Cats.
0: Yeah, that's kind of a Batman move. <laughs> and uh, the third question on the list is, what's the most widely loved comic you can't connect with?
1: The first one I can think of is Blankets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe part of it is just it just didn't age well. But it it's just so... Um, I don't think that I could connect to like how angsty it was. Like I remember reading it being like, I don't really understand what the problem is. This is a whole book. You're sad about a girl. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of comics like that. But I think it it was just so popular that I was like, "I I just don't get it. And I'm sure everything Jeffrey Brown has done. Um, I haven't met either of those men, but I'm sure they're very nice. But, uh, I don't, (laughs) but yeah, I I couldn't really get into their comments.
0: Yeah, I think, I know for me at least, uh, some of those books were, you know, so much a part of my early entry into indie comics or indie adjacent comics that I kind of, like, I don't know exactly what my pathway as a reader would look like without them. Like Jeffrey Brown in particular for a while, I was all about, and I think, I think I would find, uh... Returning to stuff—I don't know difficult is the word, but but it would be very hard to make the time or to you know try and work through them in order to find the stuff that was still compelling to me.
1: Right? Yeah. I mean, I think about this similarly. I remember when journal journal comics were just so huge, um, and that I get that at least my my impression initially was what was compelling about them was just sort of this conceit that that anything could be a comic you could just write about you know you waking up late and eating cookies for breakfast and that's totally and there doesn't need to be a story it just ends i mean you know i read i read a lot of craig thompson's comics and a lot of um jeffrey brown's comics i mean for me just i didn't expect the content in comics to really resonate with me i think you know because i i love drawing ever since i was a kid i uh, i never expected the content to resonate, I would just, you know, be really attracted by the art. I mean, in part because people weren't talking about things that I, you know, either experienced in my life or felt very, or felt were very relevant or, you know, I, I guess maybe because I, I'm black, um, you know, my experience was like a little different. It, it actually hasn't been until recently that I have, I'll go to like SPX and, um, Read read a bunch of comics that feel like they're specifically for me, mm-hmm. or you know they they resonate in a way that I see. You know, indie comics has really resonated with other people, but you know I I read all those comics you know and appreciated things about them. But I think you once when things are just so popular, it really makes you take a second and look. It's like why why this more than other things?
0: Sure. I mean, what were the things about the comics you came up reading that? resonated with you enough to you know be a reader for you know the years before you encounter something like prince of cats where there's a kind of you know more direct more powerful resonance in those books
1: i mean it's funny too because i mean prince of cats is so so new york you know and i'm i'm from a rural town so me you know me and ron are not even the same kind of black people um I think a a big part of it was that when I was a teenager, I was uh, I caught, you know, a a felony charge and I was institutionalized for a little while. And um, there's something about being disconnected from from everyday life for years, you know, like Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to listen to music or dress how I wanted, couldn't read no magazines or nothing that you just get really hungry for things that feel real and i think specifically with optic nerve like that was one of the first indie comics that really heavily resonated with me um they just felt so grounded you know so i think initially that that was my interest although like you know i read superhero i grew up reading superhero comics and i read them all through um through college uh and a bit after but i think the, the thing i had a hard time with uh with superhero stuff is that it just is uh yeah, it just seems so disconnected. <laughs> uh, uh-huh.
0: all right. Well, our, our next question is right along those lines. It's uh, you can send one comic back in time to yourself at age 14. So what is that comic?
1: Oh man, that's a really good question. Not one of mine, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I just figured out. I don't misunderstand the question. Um, I mean, probably. I did not like the Black Panther when I was a. No, that's not the answer to this question. Man, this is hard. I for for lack of a of a perfect answer, um, probably the like the first Sam Bosima sports comics.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: It's, it sort of because you know when I was when I was that age, I loved anime, but uh-huh. you know, like you could only. I could only rent it, and there was four anime videos at my at my local rental spot so i, I don't know it's like sam Bosma's work is such a, like a great confluence of interests I had at that time, but totally would have been mind blowing
0: yeah, I could see that like since you've you've uh, like touched on superheroes uh briefly, both with that answer and the one before it i I'm, I'm curious you know. Uh, you know, in your work now, you discuss the concerns of an anarchist. You know, your feelings about cops are, 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 you know, pretty plain out there. Is there anything remaining for you, like, in the superhero genre that you can, you know, can latch on to as an adult person? Or is reading that, you know, just a relic of your past?
1: I don't know. I mean, well, God, super superheroes are hard, especially, like, you know, superheroes like Superman because they're the embodiment of, like, an authoritarian state. You know, they, they validate, you know, which actions are okay, are ethical, and they have the most amount of force. You know, they've got the total amount of force to make sure that you don't do what they don't want you to do. I can only really appreciate superhero comics that have nothing to do, that don't try to be in the world that we live in at all. Mm-hmm. But is there anything there for me? I don't, I don't know. I mean... Actually, recently, um, someone asked me if I, you know, if I was going to do a Marvel book or if I was, yeah, if I was going to do a Marvel book, what I would, what I would do. I think that I, you know, a, a superhero that I bet I could just sort of make seem kind of anarchist or something, or at least anti Civ is like the Hulk, like OG Hulk. Sure. It's just like fighting. Fighting, you know, irradiated monsters in the army in the desert, I could I could do that probably pretty easy. <laughs> I would do that. I would read that comic <laughs> if someone else did it.
0: I'd read that comic, too.
1: Word, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. All right. Uh, now uh,
0: our, our fifth question is, uh, how much do you think about readers when you're making a comic? And I guess for you, I'm curious how much that varies with between the comics you tell in the first person and the ones um, where, you know it's either either plainly fiction or there's you know more layers of your conceit between you and the reader
1: um with the sort of journalistic stuff or the editorial stuff you know I'm, I'm coming from like a very specific place you know like i'm definitely trying to be a propagandist so i'm sort of like anticipating i do picture you know who might be reading this and what they might think what they already maybe know or believe about um certain ideas you know, I'm coming from a, a pretty peripheral politics, so um, I feel like I'm usually able to narrow that down, particularly with the Nib, You know, the NIB is like pretty liberal readers. When it comes to the sort of more surrealist stuff, I think that I can't think about anyone reading it. I try to, like, forget that I'm making a comic that's going to be consumed uh, by other people because it's just, it's just too scary. Um, it's going to keep me from being risky or doing things that are sort of like... Emotionally resonant to me. Actually, I just finished the the script for a for a, a kind of long comic, and um, I found myself asking myself for the first time if it's a fun read. You know, uh-huh. if someone's gonna <laughs> if someone's gonna enjoy it. I just I can never I feel like I can never anticipate what people will get from something. You know, like the Loyal comic. I started making those comics without imagining that anyone would read them at all. But you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a millennial technically, so I had to post them on the internet. And uh, when people liked them, I I mean, still like, uh, I was just on tour and in San Francisco, this guy came to a show that had all these like really uh, amazing, so specific questions about the comic, and I was like, I can't I can't believe that you are disinterested. And um, <laughs> my comic that's sort of about gentrification, cops and porn addiction. Uh-huh. So it's so bizarre.
0: Well, with uh, a comic like the Your Black Friend title story, you know, the the shorter incarnation of that, when did you, when did you have a sense that that piece in particular was, you know, breaking through um, to like a larger readership than the stuff you'd done uh, up to that point?
1: I don't know. I guess I guess sort of all at once. I mean, I made a I self published like a little black and white version uh, for Cake in Chicago, um, and then a couple months after that, Silver Sprocket asked me if I wanted to do a color version. I don't know. I I just started getting a lot of emails. Um, <laughs> I think that was that was the uh, you know that was the the first indicator that people really felt like that book meant something to them.
0: You know, you'd uh, this is a this is a totally different question now, but you'd mentioned the nib and your work for the nib a second ago, uh, and with uh, that publisher or or a venue like that, I'm wondering how often you get uh, any editorial pushback with your work. You know, I'm thinking of the piece you did recently, where where the piece is about you know, let's say like what what to do in the presence of a proud boy, and if there are right. are things you can and can't say at a venue like that. Mm.
1: In general, I don't get a lot of pushback. I mean, with the NIB, for whatever reason, the people at the NIB, I think that they had a pretty good idea about who I was before sure. I got, you know, I got uh, signed up to do work there. So when it comes to me, you know, sort of making a, a glib but sincere comic about jumping a proud boy, I don't, I don't think any of them are particularly surprised. I think it. Uh-huh. I there's been a couple times. Where, where I'll maybe we'll make a claim about um, a public figure that the legal department says that I can't do, but, but in general, like um, I think that they know they know like what it is <laughs> with, with me uh, that I'm a wingnut, and right. so I'm going <laughs> to make comics like that. I mean, thank God, yeah, they've been they've been very very supportive on the whole uh, with those things. Um, with Silver Sprocket, I think it's also very similar you know, they avi read I think all of the self published comics that I had come out with and then, you know, sort of off the, the strength of that asked me to to make comics with them. So, you know, he had a really good idea about the sort of weird stuff I made before asking to publish it. I've been very lucky in that sense. I don't I don't have to compromise almost ever, which is rare for thirty five year old
0: people uh-huh. anywhere. Right, well, the, the question uh, to this next question might just be never then. Uh, but the, the sixth question on the list is what's the closest you've come to quitting cartooning?
1: I went, um, a couple of months ago, I went to Puerto Rico to, uh, to do some work on these two farms. Um, both farms are part of a, uh, a black and brown sort of farm network in the United States. Um, and both had been, uh, you know, affected by Hurricane Maria. And, you know, I don't know a whole lot about farming. Um, but, you know, I, I I did some stuff. I was there for, for a month. And um, I went to this this island. One of the farms is on this, uh, it's a squatted farm. And it's on a mountain called Mount Carmela that's covered in, in squatted uh, farms and houses. They called it rescued land. Um, and, uh, you know, I was a long time squatter up until... Uh, two years ago Um, and there's all these wild horses everywhere and uh, people are you know everyone you talk to you know they are uh, the mountain is named after this lady that helped get rid of the navy because the island used to be a navy bombing range and all these people were a part of that movement that are on the island and on you know on the mountain in particular so you know everyone's talking about You know, anti-colonialism, anti-capitalism, everyone's trying to grow their own food and they're riding around horses with like, you know, Jordan sneakers on listening Uh to trap music. And (laughs) I was like, you know what? (laughs) Uh, You know, comics is okay, but but I I would quit today um, to to be a farmer on this island if my Spanish was um, anywhere close to good.
0: Do you think you'll be back?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely will go back. I'm gonna, I'm actually gonna do a story about the one of the farms I was on that was on that island uh, for the NIB. So I'll, I'll definitely go back. I mean, I think there's a lot of things about Puerto Rico that are sort of unique to its struggle, but I think are also pretty instructive for you know people in the mainland United States, just in terms of egalitarian struggles against mm-hmm. the state that I think are interesting. I mean, for one, their rescued land movement is huge, and they. But if you ask someone about squatting, they have no idea. You know,
0: oh, it's, it's a, right. huh?
1: It's like a much. It's a. It's a tradition that comes from, sort of this narrative they have about themselves, in uh, which is um, true, I think, in a lot of cases, and sort of apocryphal in a lot of other cases. But um, but they're all like, you know, we're a mix of enslaved peoples, uh, colonists, and the native peoples. Uh, but they most a a lot of people a lot of people identify with the with the native and the enslaved, and they're like, we're rescuing the land away from the state or away from developers, so they call the land Rescued Land. Um, and I think that, that attitude also drives how they uh, take space for themselves. I think it's really interesting. So will definitely go back. I'm not really a tourist, but <laughs> you know, it's, pretty, it's pretty dope there. I want to ride more horses.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> so when you say... Um you know, rescued land, uh, but the the term squatting was was not super familiar. Is it, is it exclusively agrarian spaces, or, or mostly agrarian spaces then, where where that tradition has hold there?
1: Uh, no, it's not. Um, there's a huge. I want to. I wish I could remember the name of the neighborhood, but uh, in San Juan, which you know is the largest city on the islands, um, there's a huge neighborhood that is uh, rescued land. I think the thing is that they. Uh, don't often squat buildings. Uh, they'll move onto land and then just oh, build I see. Uh, homes on them. So I think that's a that's a obviously much different strategy. Gotcha. Um, but I think I mean I think also we got our tradition of squatting from from Europe. Um, so I think that's also like the tradition and the language around it is totally different.
0: Right, I'll ask you the seventh question on the list now, uh, which is: What's the best advice you've heard about making comics? Mm, uh,
1: to make good comics, you have to make a lot of bad comics.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a hard time with pressure. So I think, I think, uh, in general, I, uh, I have a habit to uh, to approach things with uh, incredibly low expectations. <laughs> so, But I have a couple friends that have been trying to, who are amazing artists, uh, but can't start or finish comics ever. And that's what I tell them. Uh,
0: well, okay, here's a question for you along those lines. Um I'm correct, right, in thinking that uh, I think it's next year you've got a, a larger book with Fanta Graphics on the way?
1: Yeah, with Ezra Clayton Daniels. It's called uh, Bottom Peters.
0: Did Fanta like, acquire that project when it was... Uh, you know, far enough along that you weren't feeling you know a more intense pressure from the very start, or or in terms of pressure and feeling the weight of expectations, even if they're just your own expectations. Has that project been you know unique among your, your other works?
1: Well, I mean, it's unique in that uh, you know uh, Ezra Clayton Daniels wrote it. Um, we did a lot of sort of narrative crafting. Or you know a chunk of narrative crafting after, so it's it's different in that way. But I you know I stand by by the book and its content. It had, when uh, when Fanta acquired it, uh, it was it was basically done, uh, short of a couple edits. Yeah, you know, they didn't express a whole lot of interest. Like midway through the book, I think that would have freaked me out.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> and our, our question following that is, what's the worst decision you've made as a cartoonist?
1: Well, when I got out of at an art school, which arguably was was uh, not a very good decision to go to go to art school, but I uh, I just I started I tried to write this 250 page comic, mm-hmm. um, you know, huge graphic novel. I got to it was supposed to be yeah 250 pages. I did 170. It took four years, and um, by the time we got to 170, I hated it and it was super boring. Um, and it's just been living in this, um, this Tupperware bin uh-huh. in my stu- in my various studios for, for like the last however many years since I got out of college. So I mean, my the big lesson is to not not try to do an enormous graphic novel. <laughs> it's a really bad idea.
0: Is there any possibility that's something you'll revisit, or is it, uh, I don't know, is it in Tupperware rather than in in, uh, a recycling bin as a way to honor the work you've done, but not something you'll ever return to?
1: Oh, man. I I think, I mean, I just don't throw anything out, sort of, (laughs) at least withdrawn stuff. I mean, that's, my mom, my mom saved everything that I did as a child, and I think I just, I just uh, have the habit of, of doing that, too. Um, no, I will definitely never revisit it. It's awful. You know, whatever. I, that, that is my chunk of terrible comic that um, I had to do to get to good comics. So, I mean, I, could, I guess
0: there was a benefit there. And our, our ninth question on the list is uh, – sorry, my cat's about to jump on my microphone. Uh, uh, what, what work from another medium has influenced you the most?
1: More recently, a lot of uh, a lot of hip hop and R and B, like uh, Black uh, Smino, uh Earl Sweatshirt, Jid, all that. Yeah, a lot of hip hop is has been has been really influential. A lot of the aesthetics around it too. Like, I'm so happy that that I and you know I like horrorcore too, like um, or like horrorcore hip hop, like Chirp or uh, like horror. I, i'm so glad that that hip-hop has just like found g je- like leather jackets studs and moshing it's just uh-huh. <laughs> it's great <laughs> i love those things for years but you know if you were into those things if you're into skinny jeans and skateboards when i was younger you know that people would just be like oh well that's just because you want to be white um so the aesthetics of hip-hop are super exciting uh right now and it's it's really nice to see um, conscious hip hop back in like a really major way um, and jazzy hip hop in a way that doesn't mm-hmm. feel really dusty. So, yeah, I, that's like probably I listen to a ton of music every day.
0: Are yeah. you able to listen to music while you're cartooning or are those are those usually complimentary things or are there certain types of, of uh, or certain moments, let's say, in the cartooning process where you, you have to have silence?
1: I will write to uh, like lo fi or like chill wave hip hop, uh-huh. um, you know, things without lyrics. When I write, it really depends what I'm writing. With uh, like stuff like A-Hole that's like really stream of consciousness. Usually I, I drink an enormous amount of uh, energy drinks and can't <laughs> listen to any music. And I just sort of write until it's done. Um, I'm doing this thing for Koyama Press. It's about. Uh, people navigating a civil war that was born out of a football riot. Oh, my um, God. And I, was, <laughs> and I had to drink a lot of herbal tea <laughs> and uh, and listen to a lot of chill wave. But, yeah, it, it really depend, depends. I mean, when I'm drawing, I, I definitely don't think I'm unique to this. For some reason, I can't listen to music and I have to watch, like, awful television.
0: Is there a release date for the Koyama book uh, or is that all all to come?
1: I'm sure there is one. And I just can't remember, uh-huh. but I think it's, I think it's coming out next winter.
0: Cool. All right. We've reached the last question on the list now, which is aliens have made contact with earth and they seem benevolent, but we still want to make a good impression. You've been selected to introduce them to comics. What do you show them first?
1: This is assuming they, yeah, yeah. They would recognize it as a comic. Um, <laughs> I have eyes.
0: Kind of like, uh, eyes are like feelers on their fingers that can pick up the right, contours right. of ink on paper, let's say. Yeah, yeah. There'll well, be...
1: I'm going to say on brand and say that uh, George Harriman's Crazy Cat is what I would show them. Sure. <laughs> Seems like the most on-brand response.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we can close it out there. Uh, but thank you for talking to me. This is great. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, thanks for contacting me.